Good morning, everyone. My name is Alex, and I'm the lead pastor at Courtright Church. I want to welcome you to our online service this morning, whether you're watching it uh, on Sunday morning or whether you're tuning in later in the week. We are glad you're joining us, and we hope that this will be an encouragement to you, uh, what we're doing in the service, our worship this morning. Today we're doing something a little unexpected. Normally after Easter, we continue to say Christ is risen, and we focus on the theme of resurrection. We, we consider how we can live out the good news that Jesus is alive and that he's with us and that we're called to be his people in the world. We were going to do that uh, this year after Easter by studying the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. But the world is not what we were expecting this spring. And so we're responding to that unexpected factor by instead taking four weeks to focus on suffering. Maybe you are hearing that and you might think, oh no, I don't need more suffering in my life. Isn't there enough of that already? But a big part of the good news of the Christian faith is that we can find hope and meaning and even joy in our suffering. We talked about this last week, if, if you're with us on Easter Sunday morning. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples and he said, peace be with you. He gave them his peace, but he also showed them his hands and his side these marks of suffering. That's who Jesus is, and that's who we are also. And these days, we need to hear God's good news about suffering more than ever. And so we're going to start this morning in a book of the Bible that has the most to say on suffering in all of Scripture, and that is the book of Job. The story of Job helps us as we grapple with all kinds of questions in this time of pandemic. So let's pray before we open our Bibles. Dear God, we thank you that you are with us through thick and thin and that your word is a place we can go for truth, for grace, for comfort. Um, I pray that, Holy Spirit, that as we reflect on the first chapter of the book of Job, that, that these words would come alive for us. Um, much as we believe that, Lord, you are alive and risen, I pray that you would speak your peace and your love into our circumstances this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to read from the first chapter of Job. I'll give you a minute to grab a Bible uh, or to pull it up on a screen. Uh, Job chapter 1, verses 6 to 22. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. 
The Lord said to Satan, very well. Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite songs from the 80s is by the rock band U2. And in that song, Bono sings, he starts off the song singing, I can't believe the news today. I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long? We can relate to that at the moment. The news continues to be terrible. This week it was stories of COVID-19 spreading in nursing homes and long care, long-term care facilities, affecting some of our most vulnerable people in our society. Here in Guelph, that has happened in Toronto, some horrific stories coming out of Quebec and New York State. I learned yesterday from a friend of mine from U of T days that his father died on Friday of COVID-19, that he was a resident in one of these nursing homes in Toronto that has been affected. It's true that we can't close our eyes and make it go away, but we can try. Over the past month, Google searches for good news have spiked exponentially. Two weeks ago, the actor John Krasinski of The Office fame started a, a news network on YouTube called Some Good News. It already has 2 million subscribers and 20 million views. National Geographic has started a corona free, coronavirus-free newsletter entitled Your Weekly Escape. All of us, I think, are desperate for good news. And we're finding it where we can, and our emotions are so raw at the moment that, that often... It's bringing us to tears as we hear the good news and read about it. But I want to make a case this morning that we only get to the deepest good news, the best good news of all, as we delve more into the bad news. As Christians, we believe in a God who was crucified and we are called to share in his suffering. And 
We're going to look at this passage we've read this morning for ways that Scripture may help us to understand that. Because the Bible gives us resources to prepare us for suffering. Maybe most of all, the book of Job helps us to better understand suffering. And there are three questions that arise from the passage we just read. First of all, where does suffering come from? Secondly, why is there suffering? And third, how should we deal with it? Where does it lead in the end? You could think of these three approaches as the history of suffering, the mystery of suffering, and the destiny of suffering. So first of all, then, where does suffering come from? God asks Satan right away. He says to him, where have you come from? It's as if God wants to make the point that Satan doesn't really belong. And Satan, in return, mocks God. He says, oh, I've been here and there and everywhere, and it's like he's showing off his freedom to do what he pleases and to go wherever he wants. The history of suffering begins with the devil. You can think back to our sermon series in the fall in the book of Genesis, and you might remember that the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, ends like this. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Genesis chapter 2 ends with these words. Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. And so they were at peace with God. They were in harmony with God. But chapter 3 takes a different turn. It begins with a twist. It says, the serpent was more crafty than any other creature. And the church has understood the serpent in Genesis 3 to be Satan. And at that point, starting at the beginning of Genesis 3, things go downhill in a hurry. But the opening two chapters of Genesis make it clear that suffering does not come from God. It's not what he intended. God created a world without death. Now here in this story, Satan goes after Job with an elaborate plan to make him suffer. But what we see is that God limits what Satan can do. He says, don't lay a finger on Job. So two principles then, I guess you could call them. First of all, God does not want us to suffer. That's not how he created the world. And secondly, God is in control. He's sovereign over all of creation. Let me tell you the story of Joni Erickson Tata. Uh, She was born in Baltimore in 1949. She had a family that was full of athletes. Her dad was an Olympic wrestler, and she excelled in sports herself, in tennis and in swimming. But when she was 17, she had an accident. She she dove off of a cliff into the Chesapeake Bay, and she broke her spine, and she became a paraplegic. And she has written a lot on suffering, um, and some of the most profound, moving material that I've, I've read on suffering, and she, because of her own suffering, um, just in the last few years, she's she's also come down with cancer. She's in a, a pretty unique position to talk about suffering with with credibility, like few of us have. And here's what she says. I'm going to quote from something she's written out. She says, "Whether suffering comes due to our own negligence or through the direct assault of a wicked person, or our own ignorance or mistakes, or some catastrophe of nature." All of these fall under God's sovereignty. God permits what he doesn't approve of. He doesn't approve of my spinal cord injury, she writes, or of my cancer, but in his sovereignty, he has allowed them. 
The main point is that God is in charge of all things. Why would God permit suffering? The short answer is that we don't know. But I also want to say that the reason he does allow suffering is so that in the end, evil can be defeated. Job has a special place in the history of suffering. Satan wanted to ruin Job to prove that Job was corrupt, but the opposite is actually what ended up happening. Job's wife in chapter two of this book tells him to curse, to curse God and die. She's telling him to, to turn away from God and to kill himself, but Job doesn't do it. He will not turn his back on God and he wrestles like few people have in history with God, but he's with God. He worships God at the end of this book. But we need to be really clear that Job doesn't give easy answers. It's a temptation, I think, sometimes for us as Christians to give easy answers. Job doesn't say God has a plan, even though he absolutely believes that. There's a reason why the book of Job has 42 chapters. It is a long journey Joan goes on, and all of us have to travel that journey ourselves, too. All of us are wrestling with God, even if we don't pray to God, even if we're not consciously doing that. Ultimately, our wrestling and our fear, our anxiety, but all these questions around suffering and our own future is about God, and we're, we're needing to do that as we make our way through life. Over the course of history, there has been a religious answer and a secular answer to the problem of suffering. First of all, religious people have traditionally assumed that God must be punishing me if I'm suffering. So I need to have more faith. I need to live a better life and to find a way to please him. And then he'll bless me. On the other hand, secular people, atheists, would view suffering as random and as proof that there really is no God. And as a result, you can live however you want. Both of these answers to the question of suffering, the religious one and the secular one, are wrong and lead us into the false idea that we are at the center of the universe. But Job teaches us that you can't understand the history of suffering um, if you don't see that God didn't intend for there to be suffering, and yet he permits it because he's still in charge of everything. And once you get to that point, you have to, you have to deal with the mystery of a God who you cannot understand. And that, that really is the response to the concern that, that I've heard many people say that the Christians have these pat answers to suffering, that, that we begin in our reply to people who may come to us with questions about suffering by saying that, that we don't know, that, that there's a mystery to it that we can't explain. In verses 9 and 10 of what we read this morning, Satan argues that the only reason Job was devoted to God or feared him was because of the things God had given him. Now, Satan has a point here. Do, do we really love God or anyone in our lives for who they are, or do we love them for what we can get from them? You can think of Satan as the ultimate cynic about love. 
He sees human beings all over the place, all through history, using and abusing each other. And he's not wrong about that. You can think of stories, perhaps, of when people get rich and famous in our culture. Maybe they win the lottery or they're young and they're a talented athlete. They sign a multi-million dollar contract or they have a hit song. It's a dream come true when that happens. But there's a change in someone's life at that point. They start to be unable to trust people like they once could. People, most people, don't care for them any longer for who they are, but rather the attraction is their fame and their wealth and their power. Now, when you use someone like that, you're being just as cynical as Satan. And God wants to persuade us to live differently. He wants to to heal our cynicism. And he knows that we need to learn to love him for who he is and to love the other people in our lives for who they are rather than for what we can get from them. And the only way that can happen is through the mystery of suffering. You can't know the reason for your suffering. You can't get the answer to the question why. Can you believe in a God that you don't understand? That a God that will not answer some of the biggest questions you have in your life, especially the ones about suffering. And yet a God who invites you to stay in a relationship with him, even though you can't control him and even though you may not understand what he's doing. He's asking you to trust him through that experience of suffering you're going through and to trust that it will be a way for him to love you more and for you to really love God. And Job models this response. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. And by depart there, he means I will die. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So is this where suffering leads for Christians then, that that we just have to accept it? Is that what our destiny is when it comes to suffering? Well, I think it's important to notice that Joan isn't pretending everything's okay here. He tears his robe, he shaves his head. Those were extreme expressions of grief, lament, and sorrow in that culture. But at the same time, he doesn't blame God for his suffering. He doesn't accuse God of taking away what belonged to him by right and by hard work. He doesn't see all of his stuff, his donkeys, his camels, his servants, or even his own family as his own, as belonging to him. If you put your trust in the things and the people around you, if you make them the core of who you are and what you love, then your suffering will destroy you and your suffering will come even if right now it doesn't feel that great. And it will destroy you in the end because you're going to lose all of those things. And you'll be bitter and heartbroken and probably angry at the end of it. But if you have the love of God at your very core, you are freed up to enjoy the good things of your life, your stuff, your family, as the gifts they are from God to you because you will know that only God is ultimate and 
He is the only one who is worthy of your trust. He's the only one who holds us together. He's the only one whose love endures forever. My experience of this pandemic has been really closely tied up with what my parents are going through right now. My mom has been sick since January. She had, she had emergency surgery in January and, and then it took her a few weeks to recover from that surgery and then she got sick again and she's been sick now for a couple of months. And I'm, I'm glad to say she's, she's getting better. Just in the last week, we've seen signs that she's, she's improving. And so I've, I've been back and forth between Guelph and Brighton where my parents live a lot um, since the new year started. And I was with them this week and we were having family prayers as they call them, as, as I grew up calling a devotional time that we had as a family after we'd eaten our evening meal. And um, that involves a Bible reading and then prayers. And my parents have a lot of uh, prayer, prayer guides from different organizations. Uh, and uh, that night, this past week, uh, Wednesday night, I was the one praying. And as I thank God for their home uh, on Brighton Bay, this beautiful home where they've lived for 30 years now, I was overcome with emotion because I realized they're going to lose their home and, and they need to move. And, and uh, we're starting to figure out what that looks like. And it's not an easy experience to go through that. And I know... Many of you can relate to that, to traveling that journey with loved ones. And to my parents, it feels like they're losing control of their lives. And, and in a way, they are. And that is something that's going to happen to you and to me as well. It happens to every one of us. And as I, as I looked out, as I was praying, as I, I looked out on the sunlight, um, the sunset was, was lighting up the water, these deep blues and the trees across the water were golden. I thank God for his goodness. And, and again, I was overcome by this emotion. I don't know if that's been happening to you, but it's been happening to me a lot lately because I realized that my father, who lost his eyesight a year ago, uh, can't see that beauty anymore. And, and, and as I, I brought that sorrow to God, the words of a song that, that some of you know well came to mind. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There is one thing that cannot be taken away from us, one thing that holds together every good gift we've ever received and that, that promises to hold us together and to see us through all of our suffering, and that is Jesus. He is our hope. Now, Job never saw why he suffered, but he saw God, and that was enough. The destiny of our suffering is to make us partners with Jesus so that we can see him and his glory and receive that hope in our hearts and our minds. That's why Jesus came. Job wasn't perfect. He was not innocent. The only way death and suffering could be defeated was for true love and perfect innocence to come into the world and to make a sacrifice like no other. We had to see God's love and to receive it like never before. There had to be grace sufficient enough for any kind of suffering. 
And that is the good news of Jesus coming among us, going to the cross. Jesus is the only one who has ever truly and completely loved us, loved you, not for any benefit that he could receive from it, but out of obedience to his Father and out of his love for every one of us. He had everything, all glory in heaven and on earth was his, but he gave it all up. And at the cross, he embraced the ultimate suffering so that our destiny would not be destruction, but would be to come home to a home that can never be taken from us, to a home that is full of love and peace and joy, to be at home with him. As Christ does that, he also calls us away from our natural self-interest, from our self-centeredness. And he invites us to join him on a path that, that leads to serving others and putting the interests of others first. And so I want to ask you this morning, how are you suffering with other people right now? Especially with all that's going on currently with the pandemic. We need to escape from the bad news we're hearing so much these days. But even more, we need to join Jesus, who is always in the thick of the suffering. And that's where we will find him risen and alive and shining his light into the darkness that people are experiencing. Let me tell you a couple of quick stories from our neighborhood groups this past week. One group noticed that the older folks on their list, the the seniors who lived in their neighborhood, weren't joining in their weekly online meetings, partly because of technology challenges. And so they offered to help with the technology, but they also started collecting stories by by reaching out to these individuals, by calling them on the phone and and by asking them what their prayer requests were. And, And then at their... Wednesday night meeting, they prayed specifically for those who couldn't be with them. And then they followed up to let them know that that they had been prayed for and to check in. And so we're able to include some of the people who are most isolated and lonely through this pandemic. And that's so important these days. Another of our neighborhood groups heard a story as you do in Guelph, at least I find this happens more in Guelph than it did when I lived in Toronto, Uh, the friend of a friend of someone in the group had been playing in our church parking lot and and the cops came and told them that they couldn't be here. Now, unfortunately, this family assumed that the church had requested that. They were wrong about that. We, We hadn't called the police on them, but this neighborhood group decided to put together a pandemic gift basket for that mom and her kids who got booted off the church parking lot. They had to buy some things and they had to make the effort to deliver this basket to the family to find out where they lived. But they did that yesterday and and that was good news for that family. And that's what I think these neighborhood groups we've started are all about. Christ is risen in your neighborhood, on your street, in your building. And we're sent to suffer with those who are suffering to love them like Jesus. And so God uses our own experiences of suffering to prepare us to meet those needs, to listen and to love. He sends us out with the marks of suffering we've had in our own lives. Jesus is always ahead of us. When we suffer, when 
people and things are taken away from us, Jesus comes close, closer than we thought possible. And Jesus wants to give you his peace as you deal with your fear and your anxiety today. He provides hope, hope beyond the suffering, the hope of new life, the hope of the resurrection. He does that because Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And we give thanks to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you to move us through your Holy Spirit to turn our eyes upon you so that we can see you. And so with all the darkness we're going through, many of us, all of us right now, that your light would shine and that that we would be able to reflect the goodness of who you are, that light, to others. So would you help us with our own needs, the needs of our families? Um, Would you give us more faith? Would you show us your face and who you are? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.